You need to stop lying about our president, mister. You're nothing but a propagandist. You're no good. You're no good. You're just another left-side hypocrite. You are no good. Leave Mr. Trump alone. Stop lying. Kabish? The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. Shaken but safe. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 524 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I'm joined today by the lovely, the talented, the shaken up, Brittany Page. I feel like I've come a long way since the first earthquake that I experienced shortly after I moved to California. Um, that first one was um, interesting because I didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. And... My family ran out of the house <laughs> and then they said, where's Brittany? Because I was in the house not knowing what to do. You just like running back and forth across the room, like wall to wall. Well, like my phone fell off the table and I, I didn't understand what was happening. And this is like 11 or 12 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And this makes it seem really strong. I don't know how strong it was. It was just a, a Blackberry, you know, it's like, it's like air. <laughs> Um, they did, those blackberries did look very substantive, but were very light, very light and plasticky. And then this time, well, I guess I had another earthquake experience when I was, um, at school, um, in Fullerton and I was on like the eighth floor and that was pretty scary. I was here for that one. Yeah. Yeah. I had time. It was a long one too. Yeah. I had time to get on Twitter on my laptop and Mm -hmm. say, I think an earthquake is happening and then still have the earthquake happening by the time I hit send. So you were still using Twitter like how we talked about on the previous episode yeah. where you were kind of just giving updates about right, right. your daily goings on. I'm I'm in an earthquake. Yeah. Um, so th- this though. Yeah. This one was a little scary. Quite a bit bigger. Yeah. And well, we also had an earthquake the time that I was dancing around in the living room. Yeah. <laughs> and the thought that there was just a continued reverberation from my my jumping around. Well, you were shaking the house with your dancing. Yeah. And so an earthquake <laughs> happened and we didn't know that it happened because you were dancing so vigorously. <laughs> the vigorous dancing confused us. But so we had an earthquake on the 4th of July. That's right. And then we had an earthquake yesterday as well on the 5th. Uh, 6.4 followed by last night's 7.1, mm-hmm. which apparently is 11 times more violent the shaking between a 6.4 and a 7.1. Yes. And so the the one on the 4th of July was at work and I was sitting in my office and I had just finished eating a cookie and I thought that maybe I was having like a sugar overload and I started to feel dizzy. That's a hell of a cookie. Yeah. Um, and so I was sitting there like, am I about to pass out? Because I started feeling a little shaky. And then I looked on the desk and there was a water bottle there and it started like going back and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. And then I turned to my coworker. I'm like, I think we're having an earthquake. We said, at the same time 
And then we hear patients outside the door yelling, earthquake. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we were having an earthquake. Yeah, I was home with the dog. Mm-hmm. And dogs, they say this, but is this true? That they sense those things? Not not our dog. No? No, he didn't. Uh, he slept through it. In fact, I, <laughs> I've been listening to, this is kind of very coincidental, but I've been listening to a podcast called The Big One. Mm-hmm. And it's about what to do in the case of an earthquake and how, how overdue we are here in California for The Big One. That, no one even lived here the last time the big one happened. Mm-hmm. So that's how overdue we are. We're we're many many years past the window mm-hmm. of of how often these things happen because they do happen kind of cyclically. Yeah. And uh, so I've been l- listening to that podcast. It's called the Big One: Your Survival Guide from KPCC. Yeah, it's a gr- it's a great it's a great series. So I've been listening to that, and it's in my head, you know. So before when earthquakes had happened, I didn't get the fuck out of the house. I just like, oh, I'll wait it out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that this time. I was in my underwear and a t-shirt because I'm at home alone. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I run in, grab shorts, throw them on, grab Popeye's harness, throw his harness on, drag his sleeping ash off the couch, and, uh, and go outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wouldn't have he had no idea yeah i'm just imagining like uh those terrible earthquakes you see in the movies um popeye just sleeping through it as like the ceiling comes crashing down around him yeah he's that's just like what what's going on guys yeah, he was something happening apparently he knew it was not big enough to leave the house he that's yeah. how he, he's super <laughs> sensitive to it yeah and then last night at dinner mm-hmm. uh we were in huntington beach having dinner and a restaurant filled with people. Yeah. This is when I knew right away, because again, I got on Twitter and this one's bigger than last. I knew right away this one's because it was way longer, mm-hmm. way more violent, we'll say, although it wasn't violent in the restaurant because we're 145 miles away from the epicenter. Mm-hmm. And no one got up to leave. Yeah, I will say, though, that everyone was taking it seriously and they were they were cautious and they were on guard everyone kind of stopped everyone's looking at each other what's going to happen here is it going to get worse is it building what's happening right maybe maybe that's it um and i think that's a good thing right people weren't um ignoring it or acting like it wasn't a problem people were scared and and they stopped what they were doing. We were at the restaurant with like the the teppan tables where they're cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he didn't miss a beat. He didn't stop. Yeah, he's like choo choo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just used it as a part of the show. <laughs> it added it added some drama to his show, spiced it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think that people took it seriously. So I think that's a good sign. But how could you not? Right? How could yeah. you not take it seriously when you live here? And well, I think there's a complacency because it does happen often enough that oh, I've been through the blah, blah, blah. It's fine. You just sit there and everything's good. But they don't understand that there the, the earthquake, the earthquake we had on Fourth of July, the six point four, was the largest earthquake in California for over twenty years. So yeah, and that was really nothing. Mm-hmm. Very minor injuries, very little property damage. I mean, I say that for if your house burned down because of it, it doesn't seem very minor. But on the scale of the, of the state and a natural disaster, it was small. Well, even also, yesterday's, even even the seven point one, 
not a lot of damage. Well, we should also say, so the 7.1, but the epicenter was not here. Out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and we should have specified that again, like five minutes ago. Again, saying out in the middle of nowhere. It's not out in the middle of nowhere if you fucking live there. Right. This is where I live. It's not out in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, c- compared to L.A. or more populated areas, thankfully, it was out. It, had that been in downtown L.A., there would have been some problems. Because it's Absolutely. a big earthquake. Yeah. Well, and the top seismologists are saying that we should be expecting more. They said uh, the day after the 4th of July, or the day of the 4th of July one, the 6.4, uh, the, the chief, you know, U.S. Geological Survey seismologist said that there was a 1 in 20 chance, so a 5% chance that there was going to be a larger quake coming. And she was right. And now they're saying... There's a 3% chance of another one even larger than the 7.1. So um, we wanted to talk about it because it is it is crazy sitting in a room where the entire house starts to shake. That's scary. You know, you're, you're, you're in a when when you're standing outside and the the ground is moving. That's a that's not like, oh, that's a lot of rain. That's, you know, the earth is fucking shaking under your feet. But. We wanted to let everybody know we are safe. We've had a lot of people reach out, both on Twitter and in messages and on Facebook. We are safe. Everything's great. Uh, you'll know if something happens. I'll, I'll tweet from my grave uh, how I'm doing. Mm. I will haunt you all from the grave. Oh, death jokes. <laughs> They're the best jokes. Death jokes are the best jokes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. We do appreciate, though, people have been um, tweeting us and... Um, sending messages saying we hope you guys are okay and that's really nice that's why i said we should have said that <laughs> the earthquake was how many miles away 144 145 yeah so i have an app that tells how far you are from the epicenter and how far down it was so another thing you have to have here that you don't other places mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so anyway welcome to the show we appreciate you guys joining us we are here um, this is going to be, this week was a one episode week because of the holiday, but we're going to be back in the swing of things. Good time in it. We have been promising to do a show talking about reparations. I've been asking for emails and voicemails and largely really, we haven't gotten really any. Um, why do you think that is? I don't I think it's because it's so sensitive. I think that it's because people assume if you don't agree with reparations that you'll be looked upon as like a racist and people are afraid to come to step forward. And I don't, I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think there certainly are a lot of fucking racists who don't agree with it for the wrong reasons, but I think not agreeing with the concept of reparations. um, Well, first of all, and we're not getting into this right now. We should probably wait. I'm going to wait. The reason I'm even talking about it now is to tell you that we have two voicemails on the matter that we're going to play when we get to that topic at the toward the end of the show. Mm-hmm. So wait for those, James and Barb. We're mm-hmm. going to play the voicemails. I also want to say we did receive a very, very long email from Jen in Long Beach on reparations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really struggle because we get these awesome emails. And some of them are just, I mean, it would take me 
like eight minutes to read them. They're, they're like a, an essay that yeah. you would see printed in the New York times. And so when we talk about wanting your feedback, we, we want it for sure, but we also want something that we're able to put on the show. Condensed just as we ask the voicemails to be condensed. Right. And I know it's hard to do that yeah. for sure, Yeah, but that's what we're working with. Well, what, what, what we should do is we should, uh, put it out there, whether or not we could post that to the page, because that would be a great, that would be a great, addition to what we post on the page and in the in the the listener group mm-hmm. to to spark a, a discussion with that so someone can take the time and read the email absolutely yeah. i think that would be a good idea mm-hmm. uh, i don't think there'd be any prohibition against doing that just they send it to us to read on air why can't we also post it on on the facebook page yeah absolutely all right got that settled good times mm-hmm. so anyway uh, we're just going to move forward with the show. Before we do, though, get to Dollamocracy and the rest of the the normal goings-on, I want to talk about this this rape case that has gone viral, people talking about this week, of the 16-year-old kid who the judge was asking or, or promoting leniency because of his uh, good family. A family court judge in New Jersey is under fire for ruling that a 16-year-old boy accused of raping a drunk teenage girl should have leniency because he comes from a good family. The outrage has come quickly on this. Here's Meg Oliver. In 2017, Judge James Troiano ruled a then 16-year-old boy accused of raping a drunk teenage girl should have leniency because he comes from a good family, attended an excellent school, and was an Eagle Scout. The judge expressed concern whether the victim's family had considered the devastating effect a trial in adult court would have on the boy's life. But in a scathing reversal in June, a New Jersey appeals court warned Judge Troiano against siding with privileged teenagers. CBS News legal analyst Ricky Kleeman. I find the words of this judge to be absolutely appalling. Prosecutors say the boy took cell phone video of the alleged rape in the basement at a pajama party and sent the video to friends with a text message reading, when your first time having sex was rape. New Jersey law allows a juvenile to be tried as an adult if they're accused of a serious crime. But Judge Troiano said that a traditional case of rape generally involves two or more males using a weapon, sometimes in an abandoned shed or shack. Circumstances not matching the boy's alleged crime. Why does it matter who his family is? It should never matter what a defendant's background is. It should not matter if he is rich or poor, if he is black, white, brown, or yellow. The judge only looked at the boy's background and did not regard anything he did as particularly serious of sexual assault or even rape. We looked into Judge Troiano's background, but didn't find a pattern of leniency. The prosecutor's office told me they are weighing their options. If they decide to indict, the case will move from family court to a grand jury where the teenager would be treated as an adult. David. If that judge wants to talk, we'd like to interview him. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Meg. So there's a lot that sticks out here as... um, Um, disgusting, but um, one thing that I want to point out, so we actually, we talk about this quite a bit with judges, and more than we should, I think, about judges having poor judgment. More than we should have to. 
Yes. Yeah. And it's 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 shocking. Um, maybe not so shocking because they're human and um, they have their own biases. And just because someone is highly educated or makes it to a position in society where they have a lot of power doesn't mean that they don't have flaws. Um, or that they're generally smart. Yeah. Or that, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. Um, but one thing I want to focus on is this judge wondered whether it was actually a sexual assault um, because he felt that rape is something that should be reserved for an attack at gunpoint by strangers. Yeah. Or in a shack or shed. And He's putting very specific criteria uh, around what a rape is. And it's pretty fucking simple what a rape is. This is why... This is why I felt it was so important to have a lengthy conversation about E. Jean Carroll's accusation against Donald Trump and the way in which she characterized her own sexual assault, saying that it wasn't a rape, it was a fight, and that she's gone on to live a good life, and it was really quick. And, you know, I actually listened to... Could the- have been worse. Yeah. I could have been ravaged. Right. She wasn't, you know, thrown to the ground. She's, she was saying all these things um, similar to how the judge is trying to define rape. Right. Yeah. And I actually listened to the daily about E. Jean Carroll because she told two friends after this happened, um, has contemporaneous backup for this. Um, and on the show, I believe we because she didn't say it with Anderson Cooper, um, we didn't know that. That Donald Trump actually, according to her story, um, put his penis inside her. That's right. It wasn't digital penetration. It right. was, it was, yeah. Right. Um, and I, I didn't know that until I listened to the Daily. So, hearing that, also reinforced for me what we had talked about on the show. Now, the reason I felt it was so important to challenge what E. Jean Carroll said about her experience and also why we're talking about what this judge said is because it's important to challenge these narratives in society when they try to push them. Yeah. You know, um, when people try to float these ideas out there, it has an effect. Well, okay. it's likely she believes that it wasn't a rape, that it was a fight because of programming like this. She's grown up with judges and men like this who defined rape in their way. And then she adopted that just based on the fact that, that that's the water she's swimming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I mean, I, it sounds like for her calling it a rape would automatically make her a victim and she doesn't want to be a victim, yeah. right? There's a, there's a lot that's wrapped into it sure, and, I, sure. and I totally understand that it's complicated, but the reality is the way in which we talk about these things has an impact and it has an impact on the most vulnerable people in this society and also it has an impact on the people that have the power. Because then they feel reinforced to say this kind of bullshit, try to frame what rape is like this judge is doing, that it's only when you're attacked at gunpoint by strangers. And by the way, Richard Dawkins tried to pull this shit too, right? That yeah. that stranger rape is worse than date rape, right? He had yeah. this he had this tweet about this. Um, this was like years ago, but still. Um, if we aren't challenging these ideas then they are going to continue to have a stranglehold on the discourse. And I don't think that these people, like this judge, right, should be able to dictate that. That's not 
that's not up to them. That's not their their job. Yeah, the law is very specific about rape, what rape is and what rape is not. So right. his 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 personal interpretation of it is not only unnecessary, it's unwarranted. It's it's inappropriate. Right. And I understand that the controversy here was whether or not to charge this 16-year-old boy as an adult for what he did. And I'm not going to take a position on that. Um, but I will say that this is horrific. And I understand that 16-year-old kids are, you know, their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. They don't have the best planning, organizing. Um, they're not good with executive functions, okay? They aren't that great about thinking about the consequences of things, right? But when it comes to this, this is someone who penetrated a, another 16-year-old girl from behind, um, took a video of it, and he sent that video with a text that said, when your first time having sex was rape. Yeah. This is someone who knows what he was doing. Yeah. He understands what he was doing. Then he filmed what he was doing. And then he sent it to people to brag about what he did. Yeah. Okay. There's like several steps here where you, <laughs> at some point you can't say that this person wasn't aware of what they were doing or they didn't know what the consequences were. You know what I'm saying? He defined it. And there, I don't know why, I mean, depending on what the, what was in the text, what was contained in the images, there could be child porn uh, allegations and, and uh, charges here too. Yeah. Th this, listen, this is, this flies in the face of what ju our justice system purports to be. Equal justice under the law, the justice is blind. It does not matter whether or not he comes from a good family. That is not a metric by which judges and justice should be meted out. That is exactly what we go against in this country. Mm -hmm. We purport to. Obviously, we've made mistakes both uh, systemically, historically, but also we're continuing to do so. But to just plainly say, oh, this kid's getting a pass because he comes from a good family, a rich family. He's a fucking Boy Scout. Right. Well, and this is how privilege continues to be upheld, yes. right? Because he's recognizing essentially that this is a privileged young person who has so much opportunity ahead of him to continue being a privileged person who will then go into the world and behave like a privileged person. Well, wh why would he not? He got away with rape. And what's weird is this judge, I mean, he wouldn't do this for a kid who doesn't have a lot of a lot going for him, right? Yeah. He wouldn't be writing um, a report saying, listen, this kid comes from a bad family. He's been abused. He doesn't have good grades. He did something terrible. We need to figure out how to fix this situation. We need to figure out if we can intervene, if we can change the course that yeah. this person is on. Right? Th th you don't this hear that kind of stuff. Saying this could very well be the last chance he has to change his ways and get a new lease on life. Right. No, no. Fucking jail. Right. Fucking conviction. Right. Fucking tried as an adult. Right. And What's weird is he's even not taking that position with this kid, right? He's not thinking something has gone terribly wrong here for this kid who has a good family. He's an Eagle Scout, but he's like raping people. What happened here? Yeah. Something is wrong. Let's try to figure out what we can do to like ensure he's not a sexual predator because he's still young, right? He's not even doing that, which might be more acceptable, right? He's just like, oh, he has good grades. 
he shouldn't be punished because he could potentially get into a good college, guys, right, and right. become a judge like me with lots of power who makes terrible decisions. Yeah. You know, I mean, what is this? The guy shouldn't be on the fucking bench. He clearly doesn't have the executive fun- function, as you spoke about, to be making decisions with people's lives in the balance. And let's not just talk about the potential um, bad decisions he's made against, let's say, black or brown or poor people who have done the same crime. Let's talk about the fact that justice was not served the victim of this rape. Absolutely. Yeah. That is something to talk about. Mm-hmm. That this girl was raped. She was violated. Mm -hmm. And how will that affect other victims who hear this story and think, I want to report my rape, but what the hell? There's no justice. She's hearing from the justice system Mm -hmm. that what happened to her wasn't rape because it wasn't in a shack or a shed or at knife or gunpoint. Right. When what happened to her wasn't a fight, it was rape. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. By any definition of the fucking word, she was raped by this little prick, this little fucking monster, who now eh, is going to go to Harvard. He's going to go to Princeton. He's going to go to a good school. Yeah. He's going to act upon those good grades and the good family that got him that far. Yeah. I also want to say that this is a great example. You know, you sometimes hear from people and they say that representation doesn't matter, right? Or that people shouldn't care about it as much. And you typically hear this in conversations surrounding like media, right? People of color seeing themselves reflected in the society, in movies, in um, editors, in commentators, right? All these different things. But it's also important to have representation at all levels, right? Of the upper echelons in the government. Yeah, on the um, bench. Judges, right? This is the reason why, Okay. Because when you have diversity, when you have people who see things from different perspectives, you you have less of this, less of this propping up people of privilege simply because they have privilege. I mean, that's all that this is. Yeah. He has privilege, this young kid. And so we can't fuck with his life. Yeah. That's the argument. Well, the other thing about having diversity, like in positions like the bench, it's it's the fact that these decisions don't happen in a bubble. Judges hang out together. They talk about legal fucking theory together. Mm-hmm. There, there could be influence. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> there could be influence from one judge to another based on the fact that he has a black judge friend, a white judge. You know what I mean? People, people. it's a cross-cultural thing. And even if it's a, a, a an osmosis type of very gradual effect, mm-hmm. it is an effect that would be positive and progressive mm-hmm. moving toward progress and that ultimately is is what we should all uh be looking for yeah but i'm happy that there was a conversation surrounding this that when this article came out from the new york times about this judge and what he said about this case that there was backlash yeah because that's what people need to hear particularly survivors and potential victims absolutely and people who are maybe afraid to report their rape because they're afraid they won't be believed because they're afraid there won't be justice right um, at least there are people that are showing that they care and yeah. and that this is outrageous, right? And that's why I also push back against people who think that there's no point in c- complaining on social media, right? Yeah, yeah. There is. People see it and people respond to it and it's important. Sometimes it's seismic. Yeah, like absolutely. Like in this case. We'd love to know what you think, though. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit 
at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. All right. We have one Patreon supporter who doubled his pledge. Yes. That is Ty. Ty. Thank you so much, Ty. We also have a few new patrons here. Janet. Janet. Suzette. Suzette. Judy. Judy. And Chris. Chris. Thank you so much. Fantastic. For your beautiful contributions to the show. We appreciate it so much. You know, part of what those contributions to the show help us do is produce bonus content, like the latest bonus episode that we posted with the genealogist Barb French. And we... We were a little concerned about the episode because it's a little lengthy and it's all about our own family trees. And we thought, are people going to like care about our family trees? Right. Um, But how can you not? Barb is so fascinating. She's just an expert in what she talks about. She knows her shit. And so we've received so many positive responses to the episode. We really appreciate hearing from you guys. And I'm sure Barb appreciates that feedback as well. So that's one thing that support for the show helps us do is produce that bonus content. It also just helps us do the regular episodes. We had that um, two hour episode that we put out (laughs) where we uh, (laughs) went a little crazy with the podcast. Um, talked about the debate in depth. Sometimes uh, y- yeah, we got some stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Um, but it just keeps the lights on. It, it helps us keep doing what we do. We appreciate all of your support for the show, whether it's on Patreon or PayPal, or if you're shopping on Amazon at dollamore.com slash Amazon, or if you just listen to the show, right? And tell a friend about it. Make sure if you haven't reviewed us on iTunes that you please do so, but do not use profanity because they will not post it, unfortunately. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So let's talk about the 4th of July and Donald Trump's salute to America. Uh, the media really went nuts with this story where Donald Trump um, fumble-fucked the teleprompter again. I think every speech he ever gives, he does that thing where he fumbles over a very basic word, and then that's when he goes into ad-lib mode. Mm-hmm. But because of the fact that this was a supposed to be non-campaign event, I think they drilled into his head, Don't, do not go off script. Do not try to ad lib because you're going to go into something that's going to be political. And then the campaign's going to be on the hook for this, you know, upwards of maybe $3 million. Because it was federal funds. Because it was federal funds. Right. right. So he was really trying to stick with the script and fucked it up and talked about (laughs) the Revolutionary War and our Continental Army taking over the airports. In June of 1775. The Continental Congress created a unified army out of the revolutionary forces encamped around Boston and New York and named after the great George Washington Commander-in-Chief. The Continental Army suffered a bitter winter of Valley Forge, found glory across the waters of the Delaware, 
and seized victory from Cornwallis of Yorktown. Our army manned the airport. It ran the ramparts. It took over the airports. It did everything it had to do. And at Fort McHenry, under the rocket's red glare, it had nothing but victory. <laughs> it is unbelievable. Well, but one, l- let me give a little criticism to the media. I, I, I thought it was lame that there was headlines that said Donald Trump thinks that there were airplanes during the Revolutionary War. No, no one, I think, reasonably thinks he thinks that. He fumble-fucked his way through the teleprompter mm-hmm. and fucked it up. Mm-hmm. So it's not... He doesn't think that. He stumbled, and he's a dumb guy. If anything, we should be having to talk about how he's just a, an idiot who can't talk mm-hmm. and who can't read very well. That's really the talk here. Well, according to him, the teleprompter went out right in the middle of that right, sentence. Right, <laughs> Just uh, for that one moment in the sentence. You know how it was raining that day. Yeah. And so I think that he was trying to blame the weather, that the teleprompter went out right in the middle of that sentence. There's a lot of people watching right. him, you know. The pressure was on. You know how Donald Trump feels the pressure. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, he's also just such an eloquent speaker. Who listens to this guy mm-hmm. <laughs> and is inspired by his words? When the ramparts are dumb, done, the air, <laughs> airports they did what they had to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, I'm no, I'm no eloquent public speaker, mm-hmm. but I'm not the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean... Say what you will, but we've had a lot of of talented orders. Yeah. Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, all of those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, George W. Bush was kind of a, a dipshit. Well, it's not surprising. You have to have, or I mean... You should. <laughs> typically, typically, in order yeah. to get anywhere with the American public, you have to be essentially a good salesman, yeah, right? And typically good salesmen have great communication skills. And that is something that is surprising about Donald Trump is that he doesn't. But he does have kind of car car salesman tactics where like, he tries to make other people feel dumb. He tries to make people feel vulnerable during interviews by getting aggressive. Those are more his his tactics, not necessarily eloquent speech. Yeah, so his his event was really... Um, Sorry to the car, car salesman. I'm not being, trying to don't send e- don't send emails. Yeah, save save them. <laughs> uh, it really was beating the uh, the American people over the head with with the military and trying to tie the Fourth of July, which is a celebration of our independence. Um, tie it to the military. Tie it to to war fighting. And look, I understand that really to get gain our ind- independence, there needed to be some kind of a military campaign uh, in the, the you know the fighting of the Revolutionary War. But that's not what when we when we think about the Fourth of July, we think about the date that supposedly the the Declaration of Independence, which there was no shot fired yet, that that was signed. And uh, again, it's this weird bastardization of patriotism, this this Christian centric patriotism model where they've got their flag, their 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 Bible, and a gun. And he's just taking that up to the next notch with tanks and flyovers of jets and uh, and this weird, perverse obsession slash culture war fight about the flag. We, we even saw it on Fox News with Julie Banderas. I'm going to play a clip here 
of it's on outnumbered that show where there's like five ladies on a stage on a curvy couch mm-hmm. so you then, can see all their legs and then one dude in the middle and the dude by the way who uh, who was the dude this time because it changes dean kane oh god that idiot who played superman who now apparently can't get any work so he's just oh, i'm gonna he's in all those god movies oh that's right he does he does work. Yeah. him and that uh Hercules guy, Kevin Sorbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah They're yeah. in all the Jesus movies. God's so. not dead guy. Yeah. <laughs> Come on like a liar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, memories. What a fucking clown. So anyway, listen to this exchange. Th- this is their understanding of what the flag represents is uh-huh. so perverse and so twisted and so not based in reality that she asserts that burning the American flag is illegal, which flies in the face of, of Supreme Court cases like Johnson v. Texas, which ruled it absolutely free speech. Erase the past. How are we ever going to move forward and do better? And I know people do talk about, uh, you know, critics of people who are so pro-flag. They say, why does it matter so much? You have to always remember that what covers the coffin of a fallen soldier, right. the American flag, it is very important to honor it. Um, there was a video of somebody who uh, stopped a burning of the flag at a protest, I, I think it was yesterday, with his hands. Yes. It means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, so, yeah, there's also Yeah, that. no, two people were arrested after that. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, certainly. Oh. And it's a crime to burn the American flag. That's how much we respect our American flag. Yeah. I was going to say is uh, I couldn't get a flag on my shoe, so I but you got it them on, on my socks, socks, which is a so nice. So I got flags move. on my socks, and that, that and that flag has draped the coffin of a number of yeah. my friends and family. And so for me, I take it very personally. Yeah, God bless them. All right, debate uh, heating up in San Francisco over fuck. a mural. To shut the fuck! Shut the fuck up! Well, first of all. The fact that you're wearing the flag on your dirty, filthy fucking feet that steps on the ground. Fuck you with your respect for the flag. You're violating flag code, U.S. code, which isn't criminal code, but it's written in how you treat the flag, what the flag can be emblazoned on. And socks that cover your filthy feet aren't one of the things, Patriot Dean Kane. And absolutely, it is legal to burn the flag. It is 100%, Kathy, 100% covered political speech mm-hmm. by the Constitution, mm-hmm. by the First Amendment. So there's like seven people on this show, right? And they can, no one is there to fact check? Well, the, what, when you watch the clip, the, uh-huh. the lady who was talking first, they cut back to her after it was Julie Banderas says this stupid thing, and she's looking right into the camera with kind of panic. I think she knew, but no one's going to point it out. Oh, actually, you're fucking way wrong. It's just, it's disturbing because look at the platform you've been given, right? Millions of people have your stupid show on. Yeah. And you're saying things that are not true to people who aren't going to go Google it and see if it is true. They're just going to go on Facebook and like quote you. Yeah. Especially Fox News viewers. And that's, disturbing i mean you have a responsibility everyone has a responsibility but more so when you're on tv and you have access to millions of people and you're shaping what they believe to be true and they believe it to be true because you're on tv and you have an audience yeah and also because it confirms their worldview they want to believe that burning the flag is illegal also what a terrible argument 
It's very important to honor the flag, she said. It's very important to honor it. Why is it important? Because that covers, that drapes over a casket when soldiers die. That's not an argument as why it is important to honor the flag. First of all, the flag only represents ideology. Like the, the Pledge of Allegiance, I think is a weird thing. I've said it before. That I pledge allegiance to this piece of cloth. What? Now I understand, and, and, and I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic mm-hmm. for which it stands. Yeah. One nation, indivisible, mm-hmm. with liberty and justice. I left out the, for God, to mm-hmm. God part. Mm-hmm. But I understand pledging allegiance to the ideas yeah. that, that the flag supposedly represents. I get that, yeah. Equal justice under the law, not torturing people. Not throwing kids into cages after ripping them from their parents. I do pledge allegiance to those ideals. But a, but a, but a piece of cloth? Nah. Mm-hmm. No thanks. Yeah. Well, actually, she was referring to the fact that two people were arrested um, because they were burning a flag near the White House on the 4th of yeah, July. They were setting something on fire in front of the White House. It's a security issue. It's not the flag thing. Right. Um, one person was arrested for felony assault on a police officer and malicious burning. Um, the burning occurred outside the parameters of the protesters permit that was issued by the National Park Service. Yeah. So that's why it was a problem. Had he lit paper on fire they could have arrested him for it yeah and according to the reporting here from the daily beast one of the men that was arrested was actually gregory joey johnson who was the that sounds like a trump supporter (laughs) he was actually the defendant in the the case texas versus johnson the supreme court case in 1989 that ruled that flag burning was protected speech under the first amendment gregory joey johnson yeah no trump Baby. I, I imagine that guy's <laughs> name is Greg Joey Johnson. Mm-hmm. But that he is, huh? I guess so. And he was arrested uh, uh, on the 4th of July. I think he's really passionate about being able to burn the flag. <laughs> right. um, That's my claim to fame. Yeah, he, he, he needs to be doing that at all times. Um, he's just got a fucking warehouse in one of his rooms of his house just filled with flags to burn like most people start the day with a cup of coffee and Gregory Joey Johnson starts the day lighting a flag on fire <laughs> outside of his house I don't yeah. know how hard to go with that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's just dipshittery. It, again, it, it's the same thing with Donald Trump getting up there and talking about the ramparts and the, the, the rocket's red glare. I mean, you can't even... Using Francis Scott Key to write his speeches rather than, than a fucking actual speechwriter. I would love to see polling um, among members of the military related to the issue of burning the flag because you hear conservatives talk all the time about burning the flag and how offensive it is. And many of the people that you hear speak about this issue haven't actually served, right? I'd actually want to hear the perspective from people who served. What do you think, Jesse, being a Marine? Do you think that most people in the military would say that burning the flag yes. should be illegal? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And and only because um, they're kind of, they're they're swept away with that patriotic type of uh false patriotism i'm not mm. saying that 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 military people are falsely patriotic but it is 
there's not well a lot of people don't know about the constitution they don't know really what is protected free speech and that most things are free speech they would say oh i should be able to say whatever i want to say for them but burning the flag because it's not something they would ever conceive of doing it's not something i would ever conceive of doing Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be able to do it because i wouldn't do it yeah it's kind of that dichotomy and i'm just guessing I mean, I know a lot of service members who feel like me, mm-hmm. but I also see, because I've been out of it for so long, Right. I see a lot that's alarming. Mm. These young enlisted guys who don't know their ass from their elbow, <laughs> who are Donald Trump supporters, these idiots who have the patch on their thing, on their uniform, like Donald Trump, whatever, oh, right, in the right. Alaska when he spoke. Yeah, yeah. That's all very alarming to me. Yeah. So I just read something that actually makes what Julie Banderas said worse. Julie Banderas being the woman on Outnumbered we just played who said that it's illegal. Apparently she was filling in for Shepard Smith later in the day. Oh, wow. Why would they choose her to fill in for Shepard Smith? Right. Anyway, um, and she introduced a segment on uh, Gregory joey johnson's arrest and she said quote it is not technically illegal to burn a flag due to free speech in the constitution so she said that on shepherd smith's show right the news program yeah where she's reading from a teleprompter i'm assuming um but she didn't correct the information that she had previously given right on the opinion show outnumbered yeah now you see this is what is terrible about fox news yeah is she gets to go on outnumbered say dumb and accurate things and then she dumb, gets dumb inaccurate things right i heard dumb and accurate oh no inaccurate <laughs> um and then she gets to fill in for the news guy yeah and give correct information and then, yeah, and then in her capacity as a journalist right not correct previous statements made by herself i mean come on what what is going on over there <laughs> unacceptable 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 all right. Well, let's let's um there's some stuff here about the some other things that are going on with the census and 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 Donald Trump being a dipshit, but I, I really want to talk about this this reparations thing that we've been teasing since episode uh, 221 or 222, and I want to get to it. So we got a couple of voicemails here that I want to play, and then we're going to discuss the issue. A lot of the same things that I discussed in the video, but I want a little bit more of a freewheeling, freeform type of discussion. This really, I think, would be a great thing to do maybe a live call episode on. We'll have to figure a schedule for that and see if, if that would be of interest to the audience. Let us know if that would be. 657-464-7609. Of course, email your voice memos from your smartphone about it to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Here we go. Uh, this is James. Uh, I'm I'm an original follower, I guess. I, I do Patreon. And uh, I'm um, I'm backing Julian right now for uh, president, so I'm a Democrat. But um I want to say I'm not with you on this reparations. Um, I didn't think there would be something we would disagree on, but uh, finally something did come up. But that's okay, because Democrats can agree to disagree. But here's my issue, is uh, the Civil War today was the bloodiest uh, war in American history. So there were a half a million um, soldiers that died on the battlefield. 
um, or more. And so uh, where are their reparations? Uh, they die to end the succession of the South and slavery. Uh, they paid with their lives or limbs. Uh, and so they're not asking for anything. Um, okay, so... So that's my concern. And then the second concern is how is this a winning issue for us, for the White House? I mean, this is shooting ourselves in the foot because I know many Caucasian people, uh, as they get older, and I say Caucasian because they're not getting reparations, okay, that we're leaning towards a Democratic uh, uh, presidential candidate because of the horrific character of Donald Trump. As soon as reparations come up, they don't care about anything else except they feel that this is wrong, and they're going back to the Donald Trump camp. So I don't feel it's a winning issue, and uh, I don't feel that it is appropriate. Um, I'm, I'm from meager beginnings, and I'm half Irish, and there's a long history of oppression with Irish. But I'm not asking anybody for anything to right any wrongs in the past. I have to go with what God gave me and move forward because I can't change the past. So um, uh, they, these are my feelings, and and I feel like this is a a uh, losing issue. All right, bye bye. Thank you for your call, James. Um... Let me say this, a couple points, generally, and then I'm going to address a couple specific things about what you said. One, if, if you don't believe me or agree with me about reparations, maybe you will, your chosen candidate for president of the United States. Yeah, Julian Castro actually supports reparations um, and standing out among the other people that are running for president, he actually isn't ruling out direct payments yeah. to African-Americans for the legacy of slavery. Um, he said, quote, if under the Constitution we compensate people because we take their property, why wouldn't you compensate people who actually were property? Fucking ironclad argument there. And this was back in March when he was asked during a segment on, I believe it was the State of the Union. Mm -hmm. And... JTAP. Yeah, they were juxtaposing his position with Bernie Sanders. And Bernie Sanders supports putting resources into programs that he believes he would help communities that are suffering, um, like Medicare for All and tuition-free college. But Castro said that he, he doesn't think that that's the argument for reparations um, if, quote, a big check needs to be written for a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, well, I, listen, I mean, there's an argument to be, there's a discussion to be had about what exact what, what exact form reparations takes. And I don't know where I stand on it. I, that's why I support H.R. 40, which is to, it's like allocating several million dollars, not a ton of money, like 12 or 15 million bucks, to to um, form a committee or a, 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 
a some kind of a panel that's going to study the issue to find out what's going to be the best way. Right. It's actually, this is the title. So HR 40, this is the reparations bill that, that we've been talking about. Commission to Study and Develop Reparation Proposals for African Americans Act. So this is not a proposal um, for, for reparations. Right. For a certain amount, for cutting a check to certain people, for... There, there isn't any of that contained in here. It is, quote, to address the fundamental injustice, cruelty, brutality, and inhumanity of slavery in the United States and the 13 American colonies between 1619 and 1865, and to establish a commission to study and consider a national apology and proposal for reparations for the institution of slavery. Yeah, so it, it's, the, it's the establishment of a commission to study how to do it. It's not... This is it. We're going to cut a check. This is it. We're going to institute reparations. Right. To study it and then to make some sort of recommendation to Congress based on what they find. Right. In order to determine what is the appropriate remedy here. So the other couple things is, one, I don't think this is going to be like the a, a seminal campaign issue for 2020. Oh, absolutely I just, not. Uh, look, we're going to be talking about health care. We're going to be talking about the economy. We're going to be talking about foreign relations. We're not going to be talking about this as a as a main driving issue for the Democrats, James. I, I just don't believe that. Well, Unfortunately, that's the case, I think. Well, the bill has also languished for decades. Uh, of course. So, I mean, this has been talked about for a long time, but there's very little actual movement. And again, the bill is to just study it. The other thing, let me say, it does get under my skin a little bit because this is kind of like, what about the troops? That's kind of what this argument is, that the Civil War was the bloodiest war and that where are their reparations for the dead soldiers? Well, as far as I know, the dead soldiers and their families going back hundreds of years we're not systemically raped and tortured and murdered by the thousands. They stood for their nation, for the Union, and fought to preserve what we had. That's why I wanted to read that date range that was actually in the description of the bill, referring to the injustice, cruelty of slavery in the U.S. and the 13 American colonies from 1619 and yeah. 1865. Between those years, 12 and a half million Africans were kidnapped and taken to the Americas, the New World. And only almost 11 million survived. So millions of people died on the way over during their incarceration and torture, chained to the belly of a boat. That's horrific. So I, the whole this what about the troops thing doesn't fly with me. The other thing, James, that I respectfully disagree and I think is a, a, a terrible argument is, well, I'm Irish. Irish were treated bad. Yeah, fucking totally true. And the Italians were treated bad and the Chinese were treated bad. White people generally treat other people bad. The power structure in America treated others bad. But not between 1619 and 1865 were Irish owned as farm equipment. Weren't tortured 
and raped and whipped and scarred and murdered. Irish people, unless they know your name's O'Flanahan, they don't know you're Irish because you're just looking like a white person. Well, isn't the difference there, too, that um, immigrants from Ireland, some were indentured servants? Yes. And that is vastly different from the chattel slavery. That's right. It's not slavery. Where it wasn't like lifelong and... You enter into a contract that I'm going to do work for you for very little money for usually for your passage over. Yeah, and they weren't treated well, and they were in harsh conditions and things sure. like that, but they weren't necessarily considered property, and they also that's had right. legal rights. Like, I think that's my understanding of of the difference. There are, there's many, many, many differences we're going to get into. But anyway, I just... Um, and Listen, I don't think James is a racist. I think James just has... A lot of the same arguments I used to have. Also, I think that there needs to be a discussion about what exactly, what form of reparations takes. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about just cutting a, a, a check to millions of people. I don't know how effective that would be. I think we need to put in place proven methods of wealth building for the African-American community in America. Whatever form that takes, I don't fucking know. I'm not smart enough to have it all in my head. I don't know. Do you mean to say that there should be a bill passed to study what would be most effective? <laughs> yes, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That would be fantastic. Anyway, James, thank you for the call. We love the dissent. Uh, I don't want to come across like a dick because I, I really don't believe that you're bad person or whatever. We just disagree on this. And I think some of the points that you brought up weren't necessarily making the argument that you think they are. So anyway, uh, let's move on. The next call is from Barb French, the genealogist, who has an interesting perspective on this because as we know, as we talked about, tracing the genealogical line of of the the american descendants of slaves is a very arduous task so she happens to have a a particular expertise in this area that that i think is important hi jesse and Brittany. this is barb french your genealogist from rochester new york and i have some thoughts on the subject of reparations from a genealogical standpoint now i've got no answers on how best to handle reparations but I don't support the idea of individual reparations to descendants of slaves, not for any philosophical or economic reasons, but because this would ultimately benefit the government more than it would benefit potential recipients. It would be far too easy for the government both to approve reparations and to make them nearly impossible to get by taking advantage of a sad genealogical truth. In most cases, it would set up in such a way that it would be impossible to prove descent. The government would only have to require that a person prove the names of their slave ancestor, and here's the tough part, prove that these exact people were slaves and to whom. The problem is that many people of color can't reliably trace their ancestry back farther than 1870. 1870 is important because it was the first U.S. census taken after emancipation, and it's the first document where many former slaves appear by name. Prior to emancipation, they were rarely, if ever, recorded by name. This was intentional, meant to dehumanize slaves and reinforce their property status. In 1850 and 1860, the only way slaves appeared in the census was through documents that were called slave schedules. These were listed only under their master's name and only by race, sex, and age. While former slaves might be matched to these slave schedules by sex and approximate age, it's just a guess. Slaves died, they were sold off, they moved around, so 
it may or may not refer to them at all. With no names attached, there's no certain way to match these records. Under these circumstances, most pre-1870 records for former slave ancestors are really little more than educated guesses. After emancipation, many took the surnames of the former masters, but many didn't. And in rare cases, slaves might appear by first name in property transfer documents such as wills, but names are rare and family group relationships are even rarer. So what many people have is an ancestor of color who seems to appear out of thin air in 1870 with a birth date that predates emancipation, but only guesses as to where they came from. It would be easy for the government to include evidentiary rules to require proof of slave ownership that would in many cases be impossible to prove. But this all ignores a fundamental truth, that the institution of slavery had such a strong negative effect on the experience of all people of color that it poisoned the well for everyone. A proven family link to a slave is unnecessary to prove the damage, both the individuals and to society as a whole. As I said, I don't have all the answers, but I think I know what answer I wouldn't pick. Love the show. Popeye is the best part. Heresy! So uh, this is an interesting point, and and I think that the, the line of delineation here that we should talk about is the fact that... Um, it's lame. I've got all these other clips I want to play, too. Is, is that line of being individual reparations. And I think what she's talking about there is like cash payments for individuals. And I don't know that we have to decide what manner it, it, it gets paid out. It's just, what are we going to do as a nation to right this wrong? What kind of program are we going to put in place to right this wrong? This, this original sin of our nation. And it is just that. And white fucking people after eight, all the way up through and, and even up to today, but through Jim Crow for sure, they didn't care if you were the descendant of a slave. That's ultimately what she's saying there at the end. If you were, if you were Jen from Long Beach, who's from Nigeria, she was going to be discriminated against and abused and not able to eat with whites. They didn't like check your, your card at the door. Mm -hmm. Oh, are you... Uh, an American descendant of slaves? Mm -hmm. Is that what kind of a black person you are? Or are you fucking black? And then we're going to abuse you. Th that's how it went down. Mm -hmm. And listen, I don't believe that the American government, and by extension, the American people, should be off the hook because it's tough to trace genealogy. So because slave owners were were good at their cruelty. They were experts at their cruelty and the dehumanization of black slaves. They should be, the government should be off the hook because they allowed that kind of cruelty that they didn't have names. They didn't have familial registry of relationships. I, I just... I don't think that's a good enough excuse either. I don't think Barb is making an excuse for not paying or not uh, delivering some sort of reparations. I think she's making an argument about an actual cash payment, which we would need some some way to to, to dole that out, yeah. to, to administer that kind of a program. Well, and that's what, I mean, this whole debate centers on the fact that slavery has had a severe impact on the ability of black people to build wealth. Yes. And that these economic disparities that exist between white people and black people, they are so deeply entrenched because black people have been denied yeah. an equal role 
in building wealth. I mean, from the failure of reconstruction to things that we talked about with Marissa Baradaran about um, about her book and all of these different things throughout history, right, that have had an impact. And what started this whole conversation was this hearing on on the bill, H.R. 40. Yeah. And Cory Booker actually kicked things off and gave the opening statement. And so we as a nation have not yet truly acknowledged and grappled with racism and white supremacy that has tainted this country's founding and continues to persist in those deep racial disparities and inequalities today. This is a very important hearing. It is historic. It is urgent. I look at communities like mine, and you could literally see how communities were designed to be segregated, designed uh, based upon uh, enforcing institutional uh, racism and inequities. We know that racialized violence and terrorism has persisted from Reconstruction well into the 1950s, as my friend Brian Stevenson's National Memorial for Peace and Justice shows. We've seen bombings of churches. We've seen massacres at places as recently as the Emanuel AME Church just four years ago. The stain of slavery was not just inked in bloodshed, but in the overt state-sponsored policies that fueled white supremacy and racism and have disadvantaged African Americans economically for generations. Many of the bedrock policies, in fact, that ushered generations of Americans into the middle class were designed to exclude African Americans from the GI Bill to Social Security, intentionally designed to exclude blacks, as was school segregation, redlining, neighborhoods like the one in which I live, which were by design walled off and disinvested in. And while these policies of the past, uh, uh, their damage and their reality has endured across generations and have created and led to so much of the racial wealth gaps uh, in our country. Right now, we see cities like Boston, where the average white family has somewhere around $240,000 in wealth, and the average black family has about $8 in wealth. Health outcomes also vary widely by, by race. National black women are nearly four times as likely to die from pregnancy complications as white women and in so many other areas. Our criminal justice system as well. No difference between blacks and whites for using drugs or selling drugs, but African Americans are about four times more likely to be arrested. These injustices do not just cause injustice for African Americans. It enforces a deep injustice in our nation as a whole. It is a cancer on the soul of our country and hurts the whole body politic, making us all less wealthy, making us all less just, making us all fall far short from being who we say we are when we swear an oath that this will be a nation of liberty and justice for all. I believe this is an urgent moment, and this bill, which I am now leading on the Senate side, is the beginning of an important process, not just to examine and study this history that has not been addressed, the silence that persists, but also to find practical ideas to address the enduring injustices in our nation. The characterizations of such an effort that I hear from others is wrong and undermines our collective purpose and common ground. This idea that it's just about writing a check from one American to another falls far short of the importance of this conversation and what I believe we will truly talk about. I say that I am brokenhearted and angry right now. 
decades of living in a community where you see how deeply unfair this nation is still to so many people who struggle, who work hard, who do everything right but still find themselves disproportionately with lead in their water, super funds in their neighborhood, schools that don't serve their genius, healthcare uh, uh, disparities that still affect their body and their well-being. We as a nation must address these persistent inequalities or we will never fully achieve the strength and the possibility. Hope is the active conviction that despair will not have the last word. I believe right now, today, we have a historic opportunity to break the silence, to speak to the ugly past, and talk constructively about how we will move this nation forward. As the old African saying says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's about time we find the common ground and the common purpose to deal with the ugly past and make sure that generations ahead do not have to continue to mark disparities but can truly talk about a nation where, as our ancestors spoke from the good book, where justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. That man is running for president of the United States. Yes. Um, I want to say, so for people who say, um, I don't support reparations, and I guess for people who say I support reparations, I don't know, but that just seems like... What do you what are you saying when you say that you don't support them because you don't know what it looks like yet? That's right. You know, and I understand saying I support them because you support the idea that there needs to be some sort of payment for the injustice. I see that. Right. Sure. But we should all be saying we support some research on this to see what it would actually look like. And then we can go from there. Right. That's right. Then we can determine, is this something that we would support? Is it something that we would not support? Right. But for people who are just automatically pushing this idea off to the side, saying no, you don't know what it would look like. Yeah. You don't know if it would be possible. You don't you don't know. Also, I, I, I'm, I'm tired of hearing the argument. Well, it could cause us to lose the election. So when do we ever make progress in this country? No. Gays and lesbians and trans people in this country should continue to be oppressed by the government and the policies of our government because we might lose the election. That's a losing issue. Fuck that. Injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. If we're not willing to step up and do the right thing for people who have been horribly mistreated in this country, then we deserve to lose election after election after election. We deserve a fucking Donald Trump if we're not willing to do what's morally right and correct. I always ask myself the question, and I would, I would implore you to ask the same question of yourself. When? When were blacks in this country supposed to get their share of the American dream. Was it in 1865 when slaves were freed? All of a sudden, were they made whole? Could they read? Could they go to school? Could they vote? Could they open a business? Could they start their own farm? The answer is no. Black families in America were continued in a tradition like slavery with indentured servitude, with sharecropping. 
with convict leasing, where they would imprison young adult black men and juvenile black men, and then the government would lease those prisoners to white former slave owners who would profit from their labor. When were they supposed to take part in the American dream of wealth building and passing down through inheritance money that they had saved and toiled and worked and broke their backs over earning? When finally some progress was made, giving, giving black men the right to vote, not black women yet, but black men, and then Jim Crow laws were, were enacted all over the South where they were, there was quizzes, whether you could vote or not. You had to pass a test. You had to pay a tax to vote. And if you weren't allowed to have a job and earn money, what's more important, voting or feeding your children? Was it then... Was it then that blacks were supposed to take part in the American dream of wealth building? Well, and remember, Jim Crow laws were enforced until 1965. That's right. So think of... A hundred years. Think of when your parents were born. Or think of when you were born. Yeah. (laughs) 1965. When? Racial segregation. Yeah. Yeah. When? 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 When black soldiers went off to fight and fucking die for this country during World War II. Many would, would, would call the only justified war that they could think about, where we fought the scourge of fucking Nazism. And they come back from having fought and been wounded. Many died. But they come back to America to a hero's welcome? No. There were communities that were built all over the country. There's one in New York called Levittown, where Bill O'Reilly happened to grow up. Where returning black soldiers from World War II were precluded from owning homes. Again, being disenfranchised from wealth building in America because they're black. And if they were able to scratch together some money for a down payment to buy a house... What neighborhood were they going to live in? Because there was segregation. And then the neighborhoods that they could live in, redlining took place where they couldn't even insure the home or the mortgage because banks wouldn't do it because of racism. When were blacks supposed to take part in the American dream that that white people were? I would ask the question of James. When were the Irish systematically boxed out from owning homes, from building wealth, from having jobs, from eating at lunch counters. The answer is they weren't. They're white people. Were there certain groups of immigrants that were known as immigrants who were treated poorly? Fuck yes. Because that is what America has done since our founding. But ultimately, they're white people. They can make it in the country. Because the barrier to entry, their skin color gets them, that's the secret handshake to get them through the door. There's no way to fake that when you're black.
Yeah. And I, I know that sometimes it can be it can be difficult for for white people to have this conversation, especially poor white people. Right. That um, are in a similar situation to where their families haven't been able to build wealth. You know, um, it's like the privilege thing. Talking about your privilege. Right. And and it can be hard for poor white people to hear that argument and think, well, what about me? Yeah, right? sure. Um, and I understand that because I'm in the same situation. I mean, there's there's no like there's no will that's gonna gonna happen yeah. for me. There's no property that's being passed down to, to me. Like, thankfully, I don't inherit the debt right. of my parents. Right, right. You know, um, but I understand that there are a lot of white people that are in a situation where they also haven't had an opportunity to build wealth. Okay, or their families haven't. Um, but they have benefited from the system. Right. And there are still elements to privilege that exist, even for poor white people. Okay. And it has been hard for me to accept that. Right. But I think something that that helps, right, accept this argument is that no one is trying to take away the difficult experiences that anyone has had. Right. There's no attempt to minimize it. Okay. It's just that we need to recognize that what happened to black people in this country is vastly different than anything else. Yeah. And that there is an injustice here that still exists today, that still has effects today and that it is systemic. And unless that is dealt with properly, it's going to continue and it's going to get worse. All the things that I just listed the, the ultimate effect of that, and we're talking about wealth building, when did they get their shake? When were they supposed to take part of the American dream? All of that has culminated in, in 2016, the median net worth for whites, $171,000. Same year, median net worth for blacks, remember whites, $171,000. Blacks, $17,400. Whites have a median net worth 10 times greater than that of blacks. And it's not because they're not as hard of working. It's not because they're not smart enough or as smart as white people. It's because of the history that we have in this country that we have put in place that penalizes black people that boxes them out of the system of wealth creation and wealth building. When, and we won't, we're only talking about the distant past here. I'm not even talking about the criminal justice system and the war on drugs and every other bullshit policy that has affected the black people in America disproportionately than whites. We'd love your thoughts. Again, keeping in mind, we don't know what reparations would look like. But we know what, we, we, we know what the outcome should be. Fairness. An ability to build wealth. An ability to pass something down to your kids. So they have a hand up. So they have the ability to have it a little easier. A little easier ride, and then they can grow on what was given to them and then give that to their children. 
That's what we should want for everyone. Again, we would love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Again, 657-464-7609. We also accept emails from your smartphones, voice memos. I doubt it at dollamore.com. I think that is going to do it for this episode of the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for your loyalty and your participation in the conversation, as always. If you would like to support the work we do here, help produce this content, we would love to have you in the Patreon family. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon, and that'll redirect you. Or you can just go to teamdollamore.com, and that will redirect you. Any amount. There are some benefits, some some perks, stickers, and Patreon hangout calls where we we have a conversation twice a month. It's a good time. Anyway, we'd love to have you there. Thank you for supporting the show. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. He didn't stop. Yeah, he's like, choo-choo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he just used it as a part of the show. <laughs>